climb up this other ridge. I relocated him. He shoots, makes a great shot. Now we drop back down to the truck, like, you know, drop like three, 400 feet in elevation, drop back down to the truck, swing back around. We dump all our stuff at the truck. I'm like, all right, I got a mental idea where this pig that she shot mm-hmm. is. Let's go get hers first and then we'll drop down to get yours because there's a more distinct marker. So we go up there, climb. It was about 600 foot climb. Get up there and the pig jumps up. Oh, man. Jumps up and runs about 30 yards and stops. And then we don't have a gun. Oh, no. I'd left, we left everything at the truck. Welcome back to the interview podcast on the Y Milbank Podcast Network from Milbank, South Dakota. I'm Craig Weinberg. Thank you so much for listening. Ymilbank.com is our website if you want to help support the show. And anyway, that would include getting your story out here monetarily or just telling your friends about the show and the project and all we do here. Ymilbank.com, click on the podcast button. There's a donate option now that gives you the flexibility to place put the value on the show that you get out of it. Anything helps and everything is appreciated. So thank you so much for listening and helping to support this show. Today we have a, a good guest on the show, John Stallone. Bow hunter, TV personality, podcast host, and author, among other things, from sunny Arizona. Daysinthewild.com is his website. Check him out. Let's jump right into it with John and figure out what it is about the wild that matters so much. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy. John Stallone, daysinthewild.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's kind of a strange thing. This In 2021, I, uh, I kind of expanded this, this show specifically uh, to include all kinds of people that I find fascinating um, and th- doing things that I maybe wish I was doing and <laughs> out in the world. And I just want to get their, you know, thoughts and uh, see what, what makes them tick. So you were on that list. I've followed your Instagram for several years now. And um, one of the things that I remember from you that really kind of made me, uh, I went, holy crap, I'm not even close to the same level. <laughs> Is I think you were training um, for archery, mm-hmm. and you were laying on your back with your bow on your front, and uh, you drew laying down, and then sat up at full draw to shoot. And I get that; it makes perfect sense. <laughs> you got to train like you want to. You're going to be, but wow! When did you start uh, doing that level of of training? Um, that specific move actually started that in like 2004, 2005 trying to remember if it was it was 2005 because in 2004 was my first antelope hunt matter of fact it was in south dakota really um yeah well by buffalo and um i was finding that i would get in close enough to make a shot mm-hmm. you know you're hiding behind sagebrush that's 18 inches 24 inches tall max and you know to get drawn You'd have to expose yourself and then, you right. know. That's a lot of wasted time. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what I came back the following year, I came prepared because the <laughs> whole year after that, I started drawing back on my back and then sitting up. And by the time I sat up, I could acquire. Wow. Also part of my, you know, my training is I've, I've done a lot of uh, drills and such that allow me to acquire a target quickly and shoot. Uh, and a lot of that came about because I do a lot of bow hunting with for coyotes. And that's like a drive-by shooting. Right. Like, How in the world does that work? Flying in, <laughs> they stop for about a second max. You know, sometimes you get one that's, you know, real curious and they'll mm-hmm. stop and poke around in the bush to try to find the call. But most of the time they get to about where the call is and, they stop for, you know, they just basically pause mm. and got that much time to acquire a target and shoot. So, you know, everything I do is come from 
finding out that I needed a solution in the field. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm always looking for the silver bullet, basically. <laughs> you know, and um, and I just I I practice that way year in year out for as long as I can remember. Um, and uh, it's funny because these last couple of years, these last two three years, I haven't trained with the same intensity and um frequency that i normally had in in past years do you see uh different results because of that yeah really yep I've, because your brain still says hey i know i can do this mm -hmm. and then your body goes to do it <laughs> body says, uh -uh. <laughs> nope exactly <laughs> you know that getting older and all that shit yeah. i'm 45 and it's not you know none of this stuff is as easy as it was when i was in my 20s and 30s so <laughs> How, uh, let's go back a little bit. How did you um, get into hunting at this level? What at started this level? It? Okay. Um, how did that start? I think that also started out of necessity too. So back early, it was in 99 or 2000, uh, I wanted to watch hunting shows. Mm-hmm. And they weren't, they weren't available to me with the service, the, you know, uh, cable service or whatever I had. And, and I said, wouldn't it be great if people could watch whatever they want to watch when they want to watch it? <laughs> so, wow. uh, revolutionary. I, yeah, except for that, uh, I never had the money backing me to, mm -hmm. I was before YouTube, before any of that stuff. Yeah. And uh, so I started going down this uh, rabbit hole <laughs> <laughs> of, um, of developing an online TV network. And then in 2004, it came to fruition, which is the Hunting Channel Online. Did you start uh, that? Yep. Really? I did. I did. Yeah. What, was I, the, what were the hurdles you ran into? I mean, outside well, of just dollars. I mean, I mean are, are there other, or is that so it? Was, dollars was a big thing at first. Um, technology was a huge thing. Mm. The technology really wasn't there. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, right now, the internet performs leaps and bounds <laughs> yeah. fast. Yeah. You know, that did when I started this. And, you know, um, the file formats, you were, you were, there was a lot of, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of process of that. Yeah. Um, you had these SD video cameras filming to, <laughs> you know, micro DV uh, tapes and and whatnot, and then you'd have to transfer those in real time, digitize them into um, the only format that was available. There was no MP3 or MP4 then. Um, or MP3 there was, MP4 there wasn't. Um, so it was like an AVI file or it was a, and they just were just large, just ginormous. Yeah. Upload for days. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. Things were just not, things were just slow, super, super, super slow. Um, so that made it, that was a hurdle. Um, the biggest hurdle I had actually was getting the contributors to get me the content mm. on time. Um, we, I did very, very well with it. Uh, you know, the first couple of years, man, we had, so it was a dollar a month was the membership. We had like 12, 12 bucks a year. Really? Yeah. We had, we had 12,000 people. So it was $12,000 a month coming in. So we did real well. Mm -hmm. You know, I was able to pay out everybody I needed to pay out and still come away with some money for it from it. And, um, I got into this uh, situation with my um, web guy at the time, and he basically locked me out of everything. Oh. And even though the site ran, but it ran on idle for almost two years before mm. I was able to legally get everything back and do what I had to do. And then by that time, you know, YouTube had came in. Um, some of the other networks were trying, there was online TV starting to pop up in my niche, even, you know, mm -hmm. there, there's been so many 
online hunting TV stuff that has come and gone. Yeah. Um, you know, TNN did something that like I was like, I was constantly competing with people who had way more backing than I did, and but I'm still the, I was still the first, and I'm still the the only I'm the oldest that's been out there. We've been there forever. The site itself right now needs a major overhaul. Uh, it's free at the moment, so like if you go on there, it's free, but it's filled with old content. I haven't updated the shows in a while, um, mainly because I was about a year ago I was in a merger to sell it, or not a merger, but I was in a a contract mm-hmm. to sell it all and i i uh that fell through and so it's kind of been sitting idle right now and um i'm i'm debating what i'm going to do with it because in the process process of all this right mm-hmm. so in the process of of promoting the hunting channel emerged john stallone okay emerged my my popularity because mm-hmm. I'm sitting here. I never wanted to be front and center of anything. Right. But I, um, you know, I just wanted a network and I wanted it to do well and I wanted to, you know, be able to make money off of it and, uh, and, and, you know, go hunting. So, um, I was writing for people and that's actually kind of where I really got started on my first, first thing in the, in the pro you know, world was, was writing articles for other, mm-hmm. for other, uh, magazines and stuff. But, you know, I was constantly writing for our blog. I was writing for other people. And then I started my own TV show as a way to put that TV show on other networks to drive people back towards the hunting channel. Right. As a marketing tool, basically. Right. And then at some point my TV show became more popular than the hunting channel. <laughs> And I had this web show, you know, uh, did it for almost 16 years, I think, before. Wait, I stopped in 2016, 14 years. Wow. Years. Um, and the podcast also, I did the podcast for 11 years. I did it for seven years for the Hunting Channel Online only, and we, we only did one episode a month. And then, um, so you had to be a member to listen to it. Hmm. Then I... You know, back in 2015, I brought it to iTunes. At the end of 2015, I brought it to like iTunes and to the masses. So, um, basically, the TV side of it, I stopped doing that in the end of 2016, just because that business model was dying. Mm-hmm. Um, it costs, I mean, ridiculous amount of money to produce a show. And I saw that the podcast had potential and we were doing well with the podcast and just, you know, considerably growing exponentially. Um, so I stopped, I stopped the TV show and I said, I'm just going to do a film, you know, maybe do a film a year or something Mm -hmm. because I have a passion for it. I, I like capturing, I really like being able to go back and look at my hunts with my kids and, and all that other stuff. So. I, uh, you know, I've since then only done film format type, um, you know, videoing at that point. Mm -hmm. I don't do the TV show that, or I do a quick, you know, for YouTube or for Instagram type videos, like a, a hunt condensed into two, three minutes type deal, you know? Yeah. Because today, day, today's day and age, if you're over 30 seconds, people don't want to watch it anyway. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, Facebook, you know, they say three minutes is where it's at, and it. I mean, if you watch all the popular kids out there, uh, it's a three minute, three minute, three seconds, three minute ten, uh, yeah. and that that's what they're pushing out. And I mean, you, the reach you get's insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, thinking of hunting films, um, how has the the final product changed over the last? 20 years or so that you've oh, been <laughs> I mean, well, is it is it different because the viewer wants more i mean or how much storytelling has to be built into it and drama to make it successful um i mean i'd be lying if i said i didn't take into consideration the what what the viewer wanted but i think most of my decision making in 
and changes I've done over the years have all just become one, I got better at it. Mm-hmm. And two, uh, just creative juices, you know? Yeah. Like I I look back at my old stuff and <laughs> shake your it's head. Really, it's, it's really <laughs> obvious that yeah. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Yeah. I I really still don't. I mean from a you know, a, a real cinematographer mm-hmm. situ you know situation it's not uh, my stuff is nowhere near what uh you know what they're producing in hollywood and everything you know, all that kind of stuff yeah, so they have budgets though yeah true <laughs> true um so you know i i would say my stuff has become more beautiful <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it's got more uh of that i hate the word we use the word epic, but it's got more of that kind of grand scale. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just you know where before it was a a talking head telling a story and cutaways to yep. some some bad B roll. Yeah. You know to that. <laughs> now it's more like there's almost no commentary. Mm-hmm. Whatever's sp- spoken in the field and the story is told through the cinematography versus so now it lends itself to a lot of people to kind of draw their own conclusion to how the, you know, how it all unfolds where Mm -hmm. I was telling people, you know, chronologically, this is how it went. This is how it went. And then we took, walked down this ravine and we took five steps over here. Yeah. But I think the whole industry has done that. You know, actually now if you still go back and watch hunting TV, Mm Especially if you watch, uh, you know, like uh, the Pursuit Channel, especially. Really? Very, very rudimentary, very mm-hmm. old school style. You know, and, and, and the guys like on Sportsman's, like, you know, that are doing it differently are, you know, Stephen Ranella, but he, he, he commentates throughout his whole thing, you know, in the background, uh, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, like Western Hunter, those guys do a great job of, you know, portraying a, the journey through the actual, you know, capturing of the, the of, of the footage, you mm-hmm. know. See, growing um, up uh, out in the mountains of Oregon, <clears throat> we used to go to the library when I was little in the early 90s. Um, and like probably the late 80s, too. Um, and we would check out uh, uh, Larry D. Jones. Oh yeah, uh, Dwight Shue, uh, Tink Nathan, you know, he was caribou hunting, and I, I would watch those on repeat, over and over, and yeah. it was just so fascinating to to get in the field. And you know, I was as a little kid, and you know, then fast forward to today, where I mean, the the amount of drone technology that's out there to get oh, insane yeah. footage is just, I mean, DJI just released a new FPV drone that's small and apparently phenomenal like yesterday and it's just wild so um it is gear important when you're out there and like do you plan a hunt based on the shots now i don't plan period (laughs) no i i used to try to do that Mm mm-hmm like I used to try to plan the story in my head almost before it happened. And it's like, you can't do that because the hunt is going to be the hunt. Yeah. You know, the animals, the situations, all that stuff is going to dictate how it all unfolds, you know, and all unfolds. Um, so no simple, simple answer is no, I don't, I don't plan, but, um, I do, go in with an idea in my head that I know I want to have this style, like an over the shoulder style, mm. or I want to have a, you know, um, a first person or, you know, a POV type. Yep. Those type of things. Yeah. I'll go in with that idea, but n- not much further than that. Um, and, um, you know, as far as, uh, as equipment's concerned, you'd be surprised. I actually have, if you look at some of my films, they were done. 
or some of my videos that were done on my iPhone. Well, nowadays, it's, I mean, that's a cinema machine in your pocket now. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. You know, a lot of it back in the day was like, oh, you know, you got to get this freaking cameras and this camera mm-hmm. and that camera. You know, <sighs> if you got a really good camera and it's in the hands of a, the right operator, it's killer. Then, then, yeah. But if you're, you can have the best camera in the world and you don't know how <laughs> right. to use it, yeah. you don't have a good eye for, uh, for shots. Like I, I was lucky. Um, I groomed a couple of guys really early on. Levi Paul, uh, was, he's been, you know, still does stuff for me here on and off, but he's been with me since he's like 15 or 16 years old. He was mm-hmm. a kid. Um, you know, now he's in his thirties. He works for, uh, um, uh, a, uh, corporate AV company. But, uh, you know, he always had a, a good eye and a, and he was a good hunter too to begin with, so it was it was easy. Uh, that had another guy named Nick that was just, um, and Nick still does work for me. Nick is the opposite; he wasn't the greatest hunter, and I always had to like teach him, you know, as went along. Yeah. Uh, but what a fantastic, you know, I mm-hmm. um, that had a I had another kid who worked for me for a while too. His name was Tanner Kemp. Uh, he had the best of both worlds. He was a good hunter and he was, he was, he was a pretty good operator. He had a, a good eye. Maybe he wasn't tech as technically as sound, but he had like really, he know what shots to get, you mm. know? And, and now, and those are the important things like knowing what shots to get. Like from my, my father is a photographer. He is about as technically advanced as a, you know, chimpanzee when it comes to using <laughs> technology. Right. And he's got this like $8,000 camera that he has no clue how to use. But my father really has an eye for composition. Uh, you know, he knows how to capture the shot or what's a cool action shot. What's, you know, mm-hmm. he anticipates what, what's going to happen and he, and he gets to that spot and gets, you know. So yeah. those yeah. are the things that make good film because you could have five million dollars you could have a freaking red dragon out there and, and your film's gonna look like shit it might actually look even worse because it probably that, will <laughs> that camera's so in, yeah. in, in, you know well it's so fun. manual like you have to know the settings the iphone has done such a great job of taking all the work out of it yeah. you just yeah, turn it on put, and run put rigs on iphones and yeah tons of work yeah. oh yeah um what are your thoughts on like atn you know they make these uh 4k thermal scopes and you know they've got sd cards in them and they'll record what you're looking at what do you think about that kind of stuff I think as, it's as cool. a tool it's got its place mm-hmm. yeah it's got its place i haven't used any of that well i shouldn't say haven't i've, I've used some former you know usages of yeah. that or we connected phone scope you know we connect mm-hmm. phone scope all the time with scopes and all that stuff to get that you know crosshair yeah. or whatever type uh you know, type shot. Um, and that's still real popular. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the end, I would say the majority of the viewers always want to see a kill shot. Well, that, that was where my next question was, how important is that? And where does that need to be in, in the film? Like, is that something you show first and then call back to it? Or because a lot of a lot of shows tease that like they'll put oh, oh, almost got him. And then they give you 20 minutes of commentary before they get to it. Right. You know, that's, uh, that's a tactic. I've gone to that here and there before. For the most part, I don't, I usually like to tell the story, mm-hmm. you know, it's, we started here and we end up here, you know, um, I find that that's for me is better. Like yeah. I think, um, if I kind of know what's going to happen, then I, it loses some of the suspense. It's like, yeah. why, do I re- why do I really even care what, mm-hmm. you know, wanted to get to that point? Mm-hmm. and see how, how you got that animal. But you kind of already showed me. <laughs> right. So, we're yeah, we're done. If I don't like that end result, I won't bother with the story. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, what do you think about the, the politics of uh, hunting and filming it? You know, the, there's a certain group of, of people in the, in the world that mm-hmm. think it's horrible and bad. And, you know, if you show that, you're, you're harming children, you know, because they would see death and all kinds of stuff. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, clearly that's not something you agree with, but <laughs> that's a very long road that <laughs> we don't have enough time for me to talk about. Uh, but it, in a nutshell, I think it is our duty as 
content producers mm-hmm. and everybody out there is now producing content because we all have cell phones. We're all posting on in, internet, yeah. uh, you know, social media, Instagrams, social, you know, all that, all that crap. Um, that to put it in a tasteful light, mm-hmm. we all know that there are points in hunting, and I used to be that guy that I showed everything. I showed the bad shot. Mm-hmm. I showed the unrecovered deer. I I did all that, and um, I caught a lot of flack for it. On, and I got a lot of praise for it too. Was that because people, you were showing the reality of it? Yeah, exactly. Because there's people on both sides that are offensive it, but more and more, I'm seeing that it is important for you. Know, I, I don't know when I took Hunter's Ed. One of the things they taught us was, don't strap the deer to the hood of your car and drive it to the center of town and show it off. Mm-hmm. Don't don't push death and hunting, whatever in in people's faces that might not want to be able to see it. Yeah. That might not want to see it. So, and, and that kind of resonated with me. And I mean, that was back when I was like nine. I think I took that class. Uh, nine? No, I think it might have been eleven. Eleven in New York. Um. Anyway, but it resonated with me, and it kind of stuck with me for years. But you know, there was a a, a large portion of my career where I was like, I want to be as truthful and honest with what I do mm-hmm. uh, and show everything. And then from that point, it went to, you know, how can I show just the good stuff of what happened? And it's kind of a, you know, it's a mixed, uh, you know, it's mixed emotions because you want to be able to be real, you know, mm-hmm. but at this time you also want to show the most tasteful things in the most tasteful light yeah so like now when i take photographs i try to make sure there's no you know not super bloody or anything like that i don't your traditional hero shots i still take those also you know your grip and grins and stuff like that we take those but i also take i make sure the camera's going the whole time so when i'm walking up Mm -hmm. revering the animal you know looking it over uh, I also now is one of the things that I think is super important. I make it a point to take photographs of the meat processing oh, it, yeah. hanging it in trees, yep. all that stuff. Because I, I can't tell you how many times over the years I'd be like, oh, I see the head on the on your backpack, but I don't see the meat. Hmm. Okay, well, the meat's in a, another backpack or another sack and it's inside and you don't see it because it's not on the outside. You know, um, Oh, you know, and, and that, that to me, there's a, there's a lot of uneducated people or I, I don't like to use the word ig- ignorant, but it's, or naive, naive, naive is probably yep. better. They don't understand cause they've never done it. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't understand that you might pack out this and then pack out that and whatever. And just cause you don't have a picture of that or whatever. So I, now I make sure that I have that. So when people are like, Oh, do you eat that? Oh yeah, of course here. This mm-hmm. is what I do. And now a lot of times I'll even show the finished product. You know, I made tostadas or I made, yeah. uh, you know, pastrami or whatever out of that meat so they can see it from, from start to finish. And I, I, I can't tell you one it's gone over well with the hunting industry, mm-hmm. which I would, because people like to see that stuff. But it it's gone over really well with the non-hunting. You know, the anti is never going to be. No, right. Well, they they not, want you to eat. Beans. You're not changing those minds, right? Yeah. You're not changing those minds, and we don't really care about changing those minds. We just don't want the non-hunters to migrate over to anti-hunting. We so, just want them to yeah. to. Uh, sympathize with us. So how how do we how do we get and why is it important to teach the next generation um, the whole picture the the value of hunting and what it's what it's really for? Because you know that we could go down the trophy hunting world, you know, and so you're going out there because I want a big mount on the wall. Um, forget the rest. Where is that balance? And and how do we draw the next generation into it properly? Hmm. Well, drawing the next generation into it properly, 
I mean, it really just comes down to each individual dad and mom and uncle or whatever that's mm-hmm. taking the kids out or mentors and, and, and them just showing them the whole process that it's not just about pulling the trigger. It's not just about, you know, ending up with a, with a set of horns or, or whatever. Um, and getting them involved in cooking and getting mm-hmm. them involved in the processing. So mm-hmm. my daughter, Ella, she's 11. She's about to turn 12. Uh, she's already taken three big game animals. Wow. Um, yeah, she's spoiled because she's got, you know, guy daddy taking her uh-huh. to. Right. And <laughs> she, <laughs> How rough. <laughs> which, it's a, it's a double edged sword because now, like if we go two, three days and then we haven't gotten something, she's like, what the hell? Dad? Come on guide. Jeez. I, I want to go home. This is getting boring. <laughs> right. You know? But, um, it's, it's, she's kind of really embraced like eating the meat really? and all that stuff. Yeah. I know it's like, I started out with all of them with learning how to shoot bows and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And you know, the, the normal progression, we would go hunting with slingshots and just, I think slowly taking them in from and, and taking them on all these different types of adventures that are hunting adjacent. Yeah. Uh, and that you can incorporate some type of hunting with it. It allows them to kind of see the big picture and then teaching them what conservation is and teaching them why we are important part of the system. Why, why, it's necessary. Um, it, I think that's, you, you just can't, it can't be one-sided. You know, you gotta, you gotta give them it, the whole picture mm-hmm. and get to them in, in chunks that they can digest because you can't throw it all at them, especially, right. you know, I started my kids off young. I mean, Ella, heck, all three of them, they were shooting, you know, a little recurve bow that, oh, I thought I had to hang up there, but I don't, um, you know, at like two years old, <laughs> you know, with my help, of course, and yeah. me helping them hold back and all, all that stuff. But it, it, there was lessons in everything, yeah. you know, oh, I can do this. You know, there's physical lessons, there's mechanical lessons, there's, you know, uh, all these like uh, social lessons and stuff that have come with it. And and it gives them confidence, and it, and it gives them a, a direction that, you know, it's even though hunting is was the is the main goal for me to get them into that, it has all these, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Positive side effects, I guess. Well, and know. and they get to learn that. Well, knowing where your food comes from is a huge piece of that. Um, and then understanding that the hunting world really the, I mean, the conservation is a piece of it and ma- and maintaining the, the, the outdoors. And that's something that I've found kind of intriguing with the, the anti hunting crowd is their whole thought that, um, hunting is bad. You're going to ruin the world. Well, if you allow things to go uncontrolled at some level, uh, it gets worse. You know, like, right. like I, I've watched a few, you know, uh, giraffe hunts over the years online. You know, they're conserving. And really what they're doing is they're getting rid of some pretty dangerous big bulls out of there. And the, right. the local communities benefit greatly when this happens with income and food. I mean, the meat stays there. Um, right. But it's almost, it seems really difficult to get that concept across that this is actually, that there's a positive to continuing on. Um, the outdoors as we know it and making it better by doing this. What people need to realize is that we've been a part of the the system, okay? And I'm not talking about the system that's been put in place by the government and and our conservation. We've been a part of the circle of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's look look at it from that thirty thousand foot view. The circle of life. Uh, since the beginning of time, you know, we were hunters, gatherers, whatever. That's part of who we are and what we do. And, you know, the people that make the argument 
poo-poo that, oh, if we just leave things alone, the, the predators will keep the... It doesn't work that way because, for one, we've had our hands in management and we have disrupted so much Mm -hmm. natural habitat with our cities and our roads and our infrastructure that it is impossible for things to go back. Yeah, if you're talking about maybe the most untouched corner of their world that, you know, man hasn't interjected, there was a possibility for it. But, I mean, for instance, we, uh, here in Arizona, how do I put this without throwing people underneath the bus? <laughs> um, we have an area, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's managed by a government um, and it's entity. Okay? okay. So diplomatic of you. I like it. <laughs> and, um, there is a bunch of water holes, developed water holes on this piece of land mm-hmm. that were there for basically about a hundred years. Okay. Now, hundred years later, some, you know, guy comes in and says, well, we don't need all these things because the mule deer survived before, you know, this, they survived in this landscape before those were there. Mm. Dismantled all of them. Wow. The mule deer herds for five years suffered so badly that they had to go back and start rebuilding all these water holes. <laughs> because again, a hundred years ago, one, the climate was different. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, hell, 25 years ago, the climate was different here. When the rain patterns were different, the, the landscape, the vegetation, all, everything was, was different and better than it is now. So that that idea that oh things will just write its you know nature will write itself mm-hmm. yeah it possibly could but at what cost and how long and how long exactly mm-hmm. when are we gonna see that yeah come so you know I'm the I'm a big believer that if you enter a system in at any level there's a yin and a yang there's a push and a pull so you have to manage everything holistically. And because we're altering habitat, because we are growing as a population, hell, when I was a kid, there was 4 billion people in the world. Now there's 8 billion people in the world and I'm 45. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, we're not going to manage people. We're not, we're not going to go out and start culling people, right? Well, we shouldn't. (laughs) That gets messy. Yeah. I think some people have tried it over the years. They're probably trying to do that with this coronavirus right now anyway, <laughs> but that's a that's a tinfoil hat discussion that we can stay away from. Oh, wait, you have uh, one of those? Is that what's in the yeah. back corner? <laughs> Along with all the other nice. shit that's piled up back there. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, that idea is just, it's ludicrous. Yeah. You know, the, what, what needs to happen is really sound science, really sound management prop, you know, um, policies and we just need to constantly be evolving and changing with you know from year to year because because of the animals themselves because of weather patterns because of what you know and 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 just stay on top of it and be good stewards of the of the land and and everything will be fine but um, well you do get some crazy people that don't think that through and so they just want to go shoot things and so you get some crazy is that why we have accepted as a society this idea that i have to go essentially pay the 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 man to Uh, have access to go harvest animals well no i i mean that that's a that's a very smart system that was put in place honestly uh the north american conservation model 
is very complex, but it's it, it's a really, really good model. Um, and having to pay for the right to go out and shoot stuff, none of that should really bother anybody because that money, if it's done the way it was written to be done, mm-hmm. which it is in ways, <laughs> is it goes to everything that it needs to go to. Like, I'll leave it at that. You know, let's, let's, let's leave out. Cause I don't want to get into another political deal about it, but <laughs> the, the idea of the way it's supposed to work is, is correct in my opinion. Um, and I think where the, where the, I'm kind of losing my train of thought here. Cause I was, I, I started thinking about politics for a second, but <laughs> do you really, the, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm very easily uh, squirrel. Yeah, nice. I developed ADD as a as a, as I got older. Um, <laughs> as an adult, <laughs> yeah, crazy. Um, I I think the uh, the idea of, like the the crazy person out there and all that. I think that was all. If you let me back up, if you look through time right Mm -hmm. the hunter's always painted as a villain you see it in disney you see it right in hollywood i mean uh the general view of who the hunter is of the non-hunting public and definitely from the anti is is elmer fudd Mm -hmm. oh we're just out there or or you're like a toothless Redneck hillbilly just <laughs> running around drinking beer, shooting shit shooting in the back beer. of your truck. Yeah, and and don't get me wrong, there is a small population of people that are like that, and because of them, they shit all over the rest of us. Um, I mean, I look at you, and and hopefully this doesn't offend you. I I don't say this guy's a freaking hunter, <laughs> right? You, I mean, yeah. you look like, you know that you carry a briefcase to work every day. So well, shoot, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> no. I mean, I know you got the, you got the, they got the beard going and all that, but this has a little no. bit of rebel right there, but it, it's just, you look real clean cut. You're, you know, you're, you're put together. Like, I don't think people look at me when I'm out to dinner with my wife and go, Oh, that guy's a hunter. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing that sets us apart yeah. from, or that that uh, that says hunter when you see us, you know. This, I guess that's what I'm, my point is. So is that so, based on some stereotype that Hollywood has created? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, uh, and the more and more I get into politics, and which I don't want to, but the more I look into it, mm-hmm. it's like, <laughs> man, this there seems to be this like one side. Um. I'll, I'll say it like this leftist deals that they're real. They were really smart, man. They got into from, they got into all the places that, that matter when it comes to perception, mm. mainstream media, Hollywood, you know, um, even music, all that stuff. Well, it's that, that's all how you craft the narrative. Yeah. Because you get into those places to tell the story. Exactly. I mean, they control. I mean, now look, too, big tech, like all Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. Amazon, all those companies, Apple, they're all kind of on that side, you know? They're, as much as they tell you they're not, they're, they're on that side. And, man, we are seeing, well, we were just having this, this conversation, uh, a couple of us influencers on Instagram that, we're seeing this trend of censorship or not. It's not really censorship. So they can, you know, they can control the valve. Mm -hmm. Many people see what you do. Every time I make a post that's politically charged, Mm -hmm. I get punished for about a week. All my subsequent, like stuff just doesn't get distributed. All my subsequent posts after that, I see a serious decline in engagement. And that's a pattern that's you can watch. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. And like two years ago, 
I mean, may almost three years ago. I would, this is like right after Trump came in. Mm-hmm. Before, prior to Trump coming in, I saw, I had like, let's say 17,000 followers, 16,000 followers on Instagram at that point. And I would average somewhere between five to 700 likes per post. Yeah. Uh, on my on my hotter, you know, my uh, more uh, intriguing content, mm-hmm. and you know, on the less intriguing stuff, half of that. Okay. Now, I have twenty six thousand, mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't even know, but somewhere around that. And I make a post, and I only get two or three hundred likes. Every once in a while, I see the five or six because it's a really, mm-hmm. you know cool thing so do you, is that um a throttle issue on instagram's I, part i think so i think most of the people and, and so i look at some of my friends that don't have that problem mm-hmm. my buddy's ryan ryan carter um all his posts are like tra- trail camera videos of live animals ah so he continues to grow and he mm-hmm. continues like so because it's not I guess maybe the algorithm doesn't pick him up as whatever at, or they don't see him as a <laughs> threat. Just say it. Threat. I don't know. I don't know what it is, yeah. but for the most part, most of the guys that are like me that kind of give you a little bit of everything, uh we see this this throttling back. Hmm. Um, matter of fact, Donald Trump Jr. made a post about it yesterday, right after me and my other buddies were discussing it. Wow. Similar. So anyway. So, I mean, we, that's a shadow a ban concept, the idea. Yeah. And, and it really comes down to, um, and you know, I, I've seen it in other elements also. Um, it comes down to controlling the the narrative I, I really think that's where it's at um yep. across the board and you know you, you can say you're banned you know we'll shut you down that that's kind of a that's bold and it gets a lot of press but if you just slowly squeeze the tube yep and you know just just close the door a little bit it's it's hard to it's hard to uh blame it's hard to prove and uh it, well, no, we don't do that. It must just be the people. Your, your your people must not be really paying attention to your content. So it's your fault. Yeah. Well, listen. In my opinion, the whole... I mean, I know why they do it, even with people who are not in the industry or not on the right. They do it to, to lefty, lefties also. But they it's, it's, it's to make more money because they want you to pay for boosting and whatever all that stuff that's how it started off but then they realized that wow we can really control what the hell we want people to think and see and whatever mm-hmm. you know it was a tool i think that was developed to make money so do you think any of it has to do with the bigger advertisers that are using they're actually buying into this to advertise on these platforms and so they're com- complaining was, about content if that was the case then every third picture i freaking scroll through on my instagram uh-huh. feed now wouldn't be yeah because there's plenty of people in in our niche and you know mm-hmm. guns fitness trucks whatever atvs yeah. oh, there's that, plenty that of people that tried. fall into that niche that are spending the money mm-hmm. so no i don't i don't believe that to mm-hmm. be true yeah so we're we're working on a project now uh my uh one of my partners charles whitwam and myself are and a few other people working towards China now specifically for hunting. Um, and, and the reason why we started going down that road is I wanted to say this, and I guess I didn't say it at first. So before I tell you about this project is that the rest of the world is seeing now, I think what hunters have kind of been experiencing long before Ah, with the whole narrative thing, yep. the whole, yeah. Yep. So, um, I think it's just getting a lot more, a lot larger, a lot broader. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's definitely more politically charged now and so on and so forth. But I think that whole scenario has been there for us for, since the dawn of time. Yeah, Bambi. Well, 
Maybe not the dawn of time, because in the dawn of time, we were, if you think about it, back in the day. <laughs> Hunters the harder, were the good guy. We were revered. Yeah. We were the people who, yeah, exactly. Yeah, now we're, you the, uh, we're now with the enemy. Yeah. But um, going back to uh, what I was saying about the project mm-hmm. is we're, we're working on something to kind of bring a unity to hunters and give our voice because we're strong. We're powerful. We spend a lot of money. There's a lot of us more so than the anti hunting. Mm -hmm. And if we, if we're able to channel all that, you know, into one focused blow where, where, when and where we need it, then, uh, I think uh, it'll change the game. That's awesome. So that's all I'm going to say about it because it's still kind of in the works. Cool. Well, really that's great. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it definitely because let yeah. uh, when it gets out, it'll be cool. Um, why is bow hunting so important to me or yeah. just in general? Yeah, to you. Like, because bow is your your uh, go to yes product, right? Is. For sure, absolutely. Um. Honestly, I don't know, man. It's it's kind of I'm I'm drawn to it. I'm I'm drawn to it like I'm drawn to the mountains. Like it's like a calling. It like see when I if I handed you my rifle, okay, and I told you to go lay down over there and put this crosshairs and shoot that target at three hundred yards. I know my rifle's dialed in. Mm-hmm. You do it got to do it's going to work right yeah but i can't hand you my bow and say <laughs> go shoot that target at 80 yards and shoot it the way i shoot it yeah there's it's an extension of you hmm. comes part of you there's a lot that you put into it and there's you know because uh, you can hunt you can hunt with a rifle the way you hunt with a bow if you want to get up close and personal you could do all that stuff um but there's just so much more that it's I don't know. It becomes you. So do, be- does the hunt become as important as the the success then? Like that that becomes the success in a, in a archery hunt? It, it's always been, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Like I tell people all the time like if you get into bow hunting because you want to you know harvest more animals or whatever, you're going to be <laughs> more disappointed <laughs> than you ever were before because right. It's it's not about that. It's it's about everything. It's about the birds, the bees, the the wind, the you know, everything is just you gotta be out there for the whole experience of it. And um for me, I think I don't know, I tell people all the time that I'd rather fail with my bow than succeed with the rifle. Um it's just a different sense. It's yeah. just a different sense of accomplishment when things go right. Um, the feel of it, and I, like I said, the actual bow itself feels like it feels like it's an extension of you. You feel like, you know, you're happy when you coach a kid in soccer, but you're even more happy when that kid is your kid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like that's that's the difference right mm-hmm. there. That's the only way that I could think of it equating it. But, of course, people who, who don't have children probably won't understand that. But, um, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. It is that. Yeah. What's the most important tool in your bag? Hmm. Me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you prepared? Yeah. It's about, what I'm, it's about what I've done leading up to that point. It doesn't. It's like going back to the camera. It doesn't matter mm. how mm-hmm. good tools are. I mean, you want good tools because right. they allow you to, um, you know, go to your potential. Yeah. But uh, you don't want to be limited by your by your tools in, in any any way, shape, or form. But it it doesn't matter. You can have the best of the best if you don't take the time to prepare yeah it's not gonna make a difference what's uh what's your most memorable or slash wildest hunt story man <laughs> i mean you probably have none so <laughs> yeah i don't 
Because I've seen some pictures of you with some massive like rams, and that that just would be a fascinating concept. Like the, to go do that, that'd be so nuts. I mean, there's been so many times where. Yeah, I was actually just having this conversation with uh, one of the kids that came to. He guides for me now, but he used to. Uh, he'd come and help. He was actually on my second ibex hunt, and we were just talking about this one time where I. We were out on this ledge, and he's like, "I'm not going out there any further. This is crazy, you know." And I'm like, sitting "Like there a ledge, a, like a drop-off ledge." I mean, <laughs> plumb to your death. Oh man, kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I I was on I was standing on four inches of rock, mm-hmm. leaning up against another rock and drawing back and trying to shoot another. You know, so there's a lot of those, but it's funny the ones that stand out to me are are not even those. It's the ones that were, um, well, hell, like for instance, this I just guided some Halfalina hunters, and my cus my client she shoots she shoots this pig i watch it drop and it roll does a little slow death roll and it stops in a bush feet up <laughs> and i'm like all right cool done let's all right i'm like all right her husband i'm like all right let's let's try to get on this other one before they get out of here and i get him laid down and unfortunately he shot right as the and the pig decided to take a couple steps forward and he hit right behind it so we had to like scramble get around the mountain cuz they went up and over Climb up this other ridge. I relocated him. He shoots. Makes a great shot. Now we drop back down to the truck. Like, you know, drop like three, 400 feet in elevation. Drop back down to the truck. Swing back around. Go up. We dump all our stuff at the truck. I'm like, all right, I got a mental idea where this pig that she shot mm-hmm. is. So let's go get hers first, and then we'll drop down to get yours because there's a more distinct marker. And whatever. So we go up there, climb. It was about 600 foot climb. Get up there, and the pig jumps up. The one that was feet up? Yep. (laughs) And runs about 30 yards and stops. And I'm like, (laughs) we don't have a gun. Oh, no. I left. We left everything at the truck. And I'm like, all right, just stay here. Keep an eye on him. I gave the husband my binos. I'm like, you keep an eye on him. I I slowly get back, you know, down the mountain grab the rifle, run back up the bridge or with the <laughs> rifle, just about to shoot it. The pig takes off again, drops down this cut and go starts going up the other side. She shoots him and rolls down into this cut. I got to like climb down these rocks and boulders to get this thing and haul him back out and bring him back up to where the husband's pig was, you know, like several hundred yards away. <laughs> It, it was just, it's like those are the things that stick out yeah. to me. Like these crazy, like, moments that you share with other people. Um, you know, like the memorable hunts with my family, my cousins, and my friends, my close friends. Those are the ones that, like, yeah, I mean, I've shot sheep. I've shot ibex and giant elk and, you know, great bucks and all that stuff. Like, it's it's the adventures that stick mm-hmm. out to me. Not necessarily the... You know, here we, we're talking about a javelina, which is probably the lowest on the totem pole of big game animals, <laughs> you know, and I'm getting excited, excited about it because mm-hmm. it's, it's a crazy situation and I learned something from it. Like, I don't care how certain you are that both those animals are dead, bring a freaking go with you, <laughs> <Right>. you know, <laughs> you know, this is, uh, wow. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think those are the ones that stick out to me the, the most. That's very uh-huh. cool. Um, so what's the last thing you learned? The last thing I learned? Yeah. Well, I just told you I for never, never go, <laughs> never go get a, a, a downed animal without a rifle. <laughs> there there uh, you go. <laughs> no, but, uh, let's see. What's the last thing I learned? Let's see something other than that. Um, hmm. I don't think it's the last thing I learned, but it's something that I relearn time and time and again, year in, year out, is it ain't over till it's over. Mm. Never give up. Constantly, if you're, even on your walk back to the truck, hunt to your, you know, to the back, to the way to the yeah. truck. Like, it's always, it's always, it's always going on. Um, I, 
I can't tell you how many times that I, I get a little uh, lazy or whatever the case may be and just all of a sudden, boom, there's the opportunity. And if I had been <laughs> focused or whatever, yeah, I could have I capitalized on it. So my, I guess one of the biggest lessons that I learned and I continue to learn because I, it, it doesn't always register in the old the old <laughs> noggin there is to always be in it you know yeah and it over till it's over nice you have sponsors you want to talk about you have any people that help support you keep things going well phoenix shooting bags is my my number one is my number one sponsor i actually did away with uh traditional sponsorship Ooh. several several years ago um I still uh, ambassador for mm-hmm. s- several companies, Matthews being one of them, Gold Tip, um, Sika, and I. I ambassador that to you know I'm an ambassador to them, and I'm a um, you know proponent of what they do because of the quality and 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 advances they keep making, mm-hmm. you know within the within their what they do so i continue to use their stuff i i continue to drive people towards their stuff in 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 a non-traditional sense like when i get a lot of people ask me my 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 wife tells me all the time if i got five dollars for every time somebody sent me a dm with a question right now we we'd probably uh be working a lot less (laughs) but um you know when people talk to me, like I, I win wars for them in the trenches. I don't, um, I got really tired of being a cheerleader years ago mm-hmm. and I hate that. And the hunting industry made it such the TV industry, especially made it such that you had to do that. You had to be like, look at this product. Right. Everybody was, yeah. But he's Vanna Whiting, you know, <laughs> um, stuff and you, and you know, half the time they're snake oil salesmen and yeah. they're just saying what they're saying because they have to pay their bills. Um, and I made it a point really early in my career, never just to promote anything I didn't like number one, but, um, but like I said, probably in the last five or six years, I've, uh, I really don't do the traditional, Oh, go check out this and check out right. that because those who follow me and who are really going to listen to me already know what I use. They right. see it. I don't have to see a picture with me with a Matthews bow and wearing Sika. They know mm-hmm. I'm using that for a reason. And I'm not saying go do it because I get a free bow or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Camouflage or whatever this case may be. But so. Um, uh, best place people to reach you, daysinthewild.com. Uh, what, are your ins- what are your social media channels? Um. In Instagram, it's just John Stallone. Facebook, just John Stallone. Um, YouTube, you could just look me up as John Stallone. Also, yeah, I, I but, think I, I did. I think that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even though that my actual channel still says Haunting Channel hmm. on 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 YouTube. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, that's it. And probably Twitter says Haunting. It says also done by is by Haunting Channel as well. Um, the podcast is Days in the Wild. Wherever uh, podcasts are sold. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Okay. So, but uh, I think you can get to all that stuff right from daysinthewild.com. Perfect. I think there's you know links to everything there. Awesome. Well, John, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time and uh, sharing some of your your life with us. That's very, yeah, very cool. Fun. Much appreciated. I'm not used to talking about myself. It's funny. I do this, you know. <laughs> three times a week and uh i'm not used to being on the uh the other side well i'm, I'm a i'm yeah. a photographer <laughs> as a career and i uh I, i'm rarely in front of the camera so i know what you mean <laughs> <laughs> all right awesome. well thank well, you very awesome. much thanks for having me on i appreciate it no problem have a good day take it easy thanks so much for listening to this episode of the interview from the y milbank podcast network Remember, you can help support the show. Go to whymilbank.com, click on the podcast button, and there's a donate option up there. You get to place the value on the show that you get out of it. And everything is appreciated and welcomed. 
Thank you so much for listening. We hope to see you on the next one. Thanks again to John Stallone, daysinthewild.com. Go check it out. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Stay healthy and check up on your friends.